Welcome to the Multiply Network Podcast, a podcast created to champion church multiplication, provide learning, and inspire new disciple-making communities across Canada. Hi there, welcome to the Multiply Network. So glad that you jumped on today. Uh, My name is Paul Fraser and I'm the host and excited about the conversation I had with David Burke, who works at Ryerson University in Toronto, leading a ministry called Lifeline. Trevor Gingrich from Humber College, uh, leading there in Toronto, at a ministry called The Embassy. And Adam Gilfillan, next-gen high school campus communicator, travels all over encouraging high school students, works with the next-gen. And we talk about discipleship. They're all Mission Canada workers. And next-gen is one of the five priorities that Mission Canada works with. Mission Canada also does cultural language groups, uh, ministry, Indigenous Canadian ministry, Quebec and Francophone Canada, as well as working in our urban centers. And I talked with David, Trevor, and Adam about some important things as it relates to discipleship. I want you to know these guys are practitioners. They're doing this every day. And I asked them, when do you think the discipleship process starts? And how does it look for you? How has COVID changed that? And what are you thinking about these days as it relates to the future of the ministry you're engaged in? Man, there's some great content and insight, and it's coming up right now. Thanks, guys, for jumping on today. So happy to have you here, and we're going to talk about discipleship and the next generation. Uh, David, why don't we start with you? Tell us about your ministry of Mission Canada and why it's such a good fit for you. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I have this incredible privilege of being able to pastor students at Ryerson University in Toronto. Um, Mission Canada has been a phenomenal fit for me because it's provided me an accountability structure, a support system uh, to kind of provide legs to the dream that God placed in my heart. And so Mission Canada, when I came to them with my dream, they didn't try and fit it into something. Uh, They just said, okay, how can we help you do this? How can we support what God has placed in your heart? And so they really allowed um, Lifeline, which is um, the the campus church that I pastored, to be uh, as customized as it needed to be for, for my specific context. Um, and, uh, just real freedom essentially to be able to be and do what God has called me to be, um, and, and providing support in, in accountability. Um, so mission Canada has been invaluable to me in that sense. We, we love, we really love mission Canada and, and what Brian and the team are doing. Thanks David for jumping on today. Trevor, why don't you share a little bit with us why mission Canada is such a good fit for you and maybe what your ministry is at Humber. Sure. Thanks, Paul. Um, yeah, so I, I pastor a campus ministry at Humber College in Toronto. And uh, yeah, I'll start with a bit of backstory. Um, when I went to college, I was uh, and just felt called to ministry. Um, I was always drawn to the missions program. And at that time, there was a, a mission sort of BTH you could go through to basically train to be a career missionary overseas. But um and I'm all about overseas missions, international missions. In fact, I sit on the district's missions committee and privileged to do that. I'm a champion for that. But for me, uh, in the way that I felt called was very much just kind of looking around me and saying to myself, man, there's so much work to be done right here. 
and I felt as if God was calling me to stick around. And so um, anyway, went through ministry, became a youth pastor and et cetera, really enjoyed my time uh, doing that. But eventually I caught wind of Mission Canada, the long story short, and it was like, so, okay, so let me get this straight. You're going to back me as I walk into like a secular college university and try to plant something. Yeah. Uh, game on, like awesome. And so just like David, it's been Mission Canada and the team there has been absolutely invaluable to me and just their, their constant support and encouragement and wisdom and coaching along the way. Uh, yeah. And we are sent to missional gaps, right? Like places and pockets of people and communities that don't, don't really, or the gospel has not really made as much of a dent as we'd like it to. And so yeah. it's just an amazing thing to be part of. Really thankful. Yeah. Colleges and campuses. That's a, that's a big deal. Of course, the next generation, Adam, you spend a lot of time with, with teenagers. You're a youth pastor for many years and took the leap to mission Canada and tell us what you do and why it's such a good fit. Yeah. Well, as you said, I, I am a missions Canada worker with the focus on high school campuses across the country. And uh, my role on the on the surface is to be more of a motivational speaker in high schools, as they don't really welcome very many preachers into uh, high school campuses. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so my 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 role would be to go in there as a motivational speaker. Uh, but underneath that surface level, it's um, it's more about the relationship building uh, with not even just students, because it's it's kind of difficult to build relationship with students who I really have no connection to because they sometimes live in a different province. Um, they have no connection to church whatsoever. So staying in contact with them is difficult, but it's been through some of the relationships with teachers and, and administration. And so on my end, one of the schools that I have been active in, not just as a, as a speaker, um, but as somebody who's been able to go in and help teach drama class and help be a part of some recording things, um, I went back to my old high school in uh, on the south shore of Montreal, and um, and so I've been I've been building relationships with some of their staff, and uh, it's you know it's gone it's gone down a pretty awesome road in in that sense. And so for me, it's it's yeah, speaking publicly is is great, but it's that relationship thing that allows me to influence not just students but the people who are also influencing students in the schools. And uh, so for me, I'm really thankful for Missions Canada, what they've allowed me to do. As you said, I, I, I youth pastored uh, for a few years. I was eight years here in Ottawa. Previous to that, I was uh, three and a half years at a church in Montreal and um, took the leap to become a full-time communicator, wanted to be an evangelist, um, but still had a real heart for high schools. And uh, so as I do Missions Canada work, which is what's allowed me to do, it's allowed me to um, stay true to my passion, which is to bring change through communication. And so they've allowed me that opportunity both in schools, but also on the side as an evangelist at conferences, camps, retreats, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And just, you know, for those who are unfamiliar with Mission Canada in Trevor made, uh, you know, allusion to it is that really Mission Canada is about, you know, filling the five gaps and I don't have time to go through all of them, but one of the big ones was next gen and, and that's what we're talking about today as it relates to discipleship. You know, Jesus gives us this great commission, this, uh, you know, saying, go into all the world and make disciples. Uh, he didn't tell us to necessarily plant churches, although that's an outflow of that. He didn't tell us to do a lot of the, maybe the programs, but they're all tools that build towards this one big thought, 
we are about making disciples, and we have to be thinking about the next gen. So, Trevor, we're going to throw this next question to you as it relates to discipling the next generation. When do you think the discipleship process starts, and then how does that process look for you in your current context of ministry? Sure, yeah. Um, Ministry at Humber is, is really kind of interesting because one of the reasons why I, I chose eventually to join up with Mission Canada is that I really valued um, an opportunity to speak to outsiders, like those who are outside of the Christian faith. Um, and so what we have at Humber is very much uh, like on a, on a Monday night, for example, we meet in this massive, uh, very open air sort of context, the student center. It's actually the school's cafeteria too. It's kind of like a Catholic gymnatorium and has a, uh, and it's, it's, it's full of people that are just scarfing down pizza and doing homework or whatever they're doing while the service is in session. So while we're, we're teaching and worshiping and all of that stuff, you have all kinds of people that are outside of the Christian faith wow. that are listening in all at the same time. That's great. And that's an amazing opportunity. And so when I think about discipleship and, and, you know, themes of that nature and what we do at Humber, like what I'm often trying to do, like, especially in the teaching and the music and discussions and everything else we do because we're so public um, is I realize I have a keen sense that I'm, I am speaking to those that have either no history or meaningful connection with the Christian church or very little. And so I, I have to uh, try to frame the gospel and what it means to follow Jesus and to a, a per, in, in a way that they would understand. And so I think discipleship starts uh, in my context. That's the person I'm talking to. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm talking to the person who is, I'm often addressing people who are outside of faith and trying to help them understand what this is all about and why you would ever be interested in it. And who is this Jesus person anyway? I thought he was just legendary. He's a real guy. You mean there's history behind this? And from there, we lean on uh, Christian apologetics and other ways and means of helping students understand that, yeah, there's actually, there's a lot here when it comes to the Christian faith. And you may want to explore some of those deep-seated questions you've got rolling around in your soul, you know? So that's... uh, I don't know if that answers your question very well, Paul, but well, that's it, like... It, it just reminds me, you know, how much fun it is to talk to someone who's got questions. Yeah. Yeah, like just to just to be around people that, that don't think like me, don't act like me, don't hold the same values as me, and they've got questions about this man named Jesus, or they have questions about why I do what I do or how I think what I think. And, and I think you're right. I think people start the discipleship process early. And I love that open air idea where it's like they can be a part of it, but not, not really. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. One thing, if I can add this real quick, is that one sort of uh, guiding sort of ethic we have at the embassy is that you, you can belong before you believe. Yeah. It's the idea that like you are welcome. And we say this all the time. And this is also very core. I know that to how David and Giselle do things at Lifeline as well, but it's, it's the idea that we have students in our community that come on Monday nights that engage in discussion and they're very much a part of the life of the community, but they are not yet Christian. They're not necessarily there yet. Um, and that's okay because we're trying to give them a place where they can belong and journey and journey and journey until they get reached the point. So if we can move students from zero to one, that's a win. If we can move students from zero to 10, 
yeah. that's a win too but it, yeah. it really depends on their own journey and sort of where god is taking them yeah we have to think about discipleship as a dirt a journey not a destination yes. yeah excellent. absolutely david something similar i know you in similar context you're you're planting you know have a church on campus where when do you see the discipleship process starting for your context and what does it look like for you it's a fantastic question um ryerson is is a uh a beautiful, incredible university that is very uh, anti-Christian, but not anti-Jesus. And so um, Ryerson has very clear ideas of what it thinks Christianity is. Yeah. Um, because Ryerson is at Young and Dundas, most Ryerson students, their first exposure to um, alleged Christianity every morning as they uh, walk out of Dundas Station is the street preachers that are there telling them that they are going to burn in hell forever. And so when we get a chance to meet them later on that day, we're having to undo their preconceived notions of, of what Christianity is. So in, in our mind, the discipleship process begins there. Um, and, and, and trying to undo some of these, you know, well, Christianity is this, no, like Jesus, Jesus never said it. Well, you know, did it? no, actually that's not, that's not who Jesus is. That's not what, um, that's not what he taught. And so it's so much fun. It's, it's such a beautiful adventure. And, um, one of the ways that, that we've, uh, been doing that since, uh, since we started is, is we have something called tough question Tuesday, mm. where we invite students to ask questions on anything from sex to scripture, relationships, drugs, alcohol, um, any topic. And we open it up for discussion. And so we'll have students that are atheists, agnostics, strong Christians, Buddhists, etc., all engaging in this discussion. And at the end of every question, we, we close it off with what the Bible says about this specific topic. And it's so cool to, um, to, to see people's faces change when they realize what they think the Bible says about something is not necessarily actually what it does. Uh, and, and so again, trying to reframe the conversation and actually encouraging doubt. We have um, students who, who come from Christian backgrounds yeah. and, and they timidly submit these questions and, and they'll say like, I, I, I've never been able to talk about this before, but working through this issue or this doubt has helped strengthen my faith. And so as far as discipleship goes, they're taking yeah. a massive leap forward when something that was slowly eating away at them, this doubt, we actually air it out, right? We, yeah. we stretch their faith like taffy uh, in a safe atmosphere. So I'd say the discipleship process definitely um, begins before they actually know Jesus. And like Trevor said, we want them to be family first, yeah. uh, welcome prodigal sons and daughters home. And then it's like they reach this point where they realize they are home. Um, they, they, they've been in the house for a while and, and not even realized, oh my God, that this is where I was supposed to be. And uh, I just love that. There's so much stuff, David, that we could just drill down on. The, the aspect of having to undo some preconceived ideas about Christianity. You know, we seem to think a post-Christian context has no Christian, pers like no idea what Christianity is, but media and, you know, uh, loving I'm sure people who love Jesus but are doing it the wrong way are not helping people move closer when you're speaking a, a message of condemnation. Um, and then just that doubt piece, I think that's a big part. I'm sure, Adam, you run into that a lot with both, uh, you know, uh, those that have faith 
and uh, those that are hearing the message you're sharing, maybe for the first time. And obviously, you're a person that believes discipleship starts early. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, you wouldn't be doing what you're doing. So mm-hmm. why don't you tell us a little bit in your context, what the discipleship process looks like, and maybe how you're partnering with churches, and mm-hmm. when you think it starts. Yeah, um, obviously my my situation would be different than both Trevor and David because I don't actually have a church campus, right? I'm not uh, I'm not you know starting some church on high school campuses. Although it might be a good idea. I mean, we should have a conversation about that. But but I'm not. It's not what I'm doing. I'm I, a lot of times I would go in and then I would leave, and uh, and so for me, my belief, as you said, is it's before they ever even say yes to a relationship with Jesus. I. I even though I haven't been perfect at it, I love to live by the rule of um, it's we re, we reveal him so that others can receive him. Mm-hmm. Right. So before they ever say yes to him, I want to model what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus. Right. And and I think that's a huge part of the discipleship making or discipleship process is the making of the disciples as Christians them saying yes to Jesus. And so, um, so a lot for me is based off the relationship and to give example, um, one of the teachers that I have invested my life into was my drama teacher 20 years ago. And, uh, we still have conversations today. She's not a Christian. Um, but over the course of our, of our friendship, um, she has made statements like, um, I'm not saying I'm going to go out and become a nun. Remember, Catholic background in in in, in Quebec. Yeah. Uh, but she says, but my opinion of God has changed. Wow. She she has said in our in our journey in our friendship, she has made statements like, um, if pastors were like you when I was growing up, maybe my life would look different. Mm. And 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 you know, this same teacher, again, not a Christian, knows who I am, knows what I want to do, has actually gone on my behalf without me even asking to the administration at her school and said, we should hire him as a on-campus, you know, she said, we can't call you a pastor, but we'd love to have someone like you here because our students need someone they can talk to and go to. And, you know, we've had conversations with, you know, like, Adam, my marriage is struggling. I don't want it to end in divorce. Can you pray for me? Like, these are the conversations. And so, so for me, my whole thing is I want to reveal you know, who, who God is to me, what my relationship to Christ is. And, and I want to be as authentic as possible, letting them know, like, look, being a Christian doesn't mean life is easy. Mm-hmm. It means that even though we go through difficult times, we still have someone who walks through the difficult times with us. And, uh, and so I try and model what it looks like to be a follower so that they are fully prepared when they say yes, they know what to expect. Yeah. So that's, that's so important. And again, just I love that idea of just revealing before they receive. Um, I, I've seen that. I used to, Adam, I don't know if you know this, but I used to be a campus pastor at a Christian school and uh, did the high school chapels every week. And again, you know, you think kids are Christian, you know, Christian school, everyone's super interested and the chapels are great. It was just, in some ways it was harder. It was almost like, uh, yeah, like it was just a bit, they were inoculated, just had enough of Jesus for them not to actually be affected in some ways. Now, there were some that obviously mm-hmm. were just passionate following Jesus and 
had you know great families, great churches that were supporting that. Um, but obviously, Adam, we'll start with you with this question because it, things have changed, and discipleship, I'm sure, has changed. Although for you, I'm sure uh, you've been probably on like you were online right away. Uh, I know kids hit you up on your social media and you're asking questions and they're giving you feedback and you're starting conversations through digital. Um, but yeah, so outside of you actually being in schools and engaging with students, like how has COVID changed how you approach discipleship now? Yeah, well, I think some of it stays the same in a, for me because I've understood that, you know, social media is a lot where kids are. Um, it's, it's caused me to have to change a few things because now you're not able to have conversation in front of an audience in a school setting where they're kind of forced to listen to you. You're now, you know, praying and hoping that some student catches your social media page and they see something and, and they, you know, it, it starts to, the questions. Like I've asked questions along the way, like, you know, if you could go back to, or if you could ask future self you know, about your life? What, you know, what would you want to know? And I've had questions from students who are not Christians respond to me with, I want to know if I'm happy. You know, I want to know, um, you know, am I, am I lonely? Am I, am, do I find some, like they want to know all of these things. And so for me, it, it's starting, you know, just through conversation, but it's just in a different format. Right. Yeah. And, and sure. I love to be able to communicate in different ways. And I like being kind of funny at times, that kind of stuff. And, but, but, to totally neglect the power that social media can have would do myself a disservice. And, and there are plenty of students who, who may never have me in their school or, you know, at their retreats or their campuses or their, their churches, but there's an opportunity for them to cross my social media page. And so it's really about, for me, it's about putting out the content that I would put out in an assembly um, digitally yeah. that, Students can now sit back and chew on that for a bit and, and then go through dialogue. Now, one of the things that I, just to go back to a previous thing you had said um, that I try and do, especially with Christian kids who have heard me at their retreats, one of the things as, as you know, uh, as a missions Canada worker, I'm not their pastor. And, uh, and I'm, I always tell students, look, I, I'm going to help you wherever I can. I'm going to listen to what you, questions you may have, but I want you to know, especially if you're a Christian, I'm going to point you back to your youth pastor. Yeah, uh, because I want youth pastors to know that you know that we all have this incredible role together to see these kids not just become you know Christians at a retreat, but people who are also leading their friends to Christ and maybe signing up for Missions Canada in the future. And so it's a, it's a project that I for me I'm passionate about working with everybody. And, yeah. and so digitally, I I think is 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 very key for for me. Well, and digital is going to be a huge part of our future. And yeah. churches and youth groups and youth pastors are realizing that now more than ever. And COVID has really changed that. And yeah, just getting back to that catalytic aspect of a guest speaker in, you know, I've been the guest speaker quite a bit and you go in, you pour your heart out, but really, you know, you just, it it's the follow-up. It's the, mm-hmm. it's the connection after the retreat is the connection that really, I, I remember I took some kids to YC and, you know, uh, back in Alberta, we, we, you know, we had YC here, large gathering and one of the speakers got up and just said, Jesus loves you, Jesus loves you, Jesus loves you. My whole youth group stood for salvation. I felt like the, like, but what it was for them is they, they'd heard it, they'd heard it, they'd heard it, and then they got it. Yeah. 
And uh, sometimes a, a guest speaker or the right post or a conversation, I've had conversations through Facebook Messenger with people sharing Jesus with them, and it all matters, and it's all building towards that day that hopefully they will all receive Jesus uh, as their Lord and personal Savior. And so I love that. And we can't ignore the digital. Trevor, I know things have changed for you this fall. We were talking about it offline. Uh, not sure if Humber's going to be back or hardly any students are coming back. How have you guys made the adjustment for discipleship now uh, moving forward and into the fall? Yeah, so we so Humber, like many schools in Ontario, is going to be uh, largely shut down. Um, courses and programs are going to about 90% online, which means that the only the only time that a, a student may be on campus is to, for example, train on a piece of equipment they need to, uh, to in order to complete their program. And then they're asked to leave as soon as they're done type of thing. So there's really no opportunity uh, here in Ontario anyway to build yeah. any kind of uh, in-person sort of community, which serious downside there. Yeah. Um, so the challenges are, are huge. Um, at the same time, like what we've noticed, what we what we did is we used from March up till now as basically some sort of a test phase, like, okay, so see what's possible, like what can we do in this season? And that's been really helpful because we've learned a little bit about what can work and what will not work, throwing stuff at the wall, you know, yeah. seeing what, what sticks. Yeah. And um, we've noticed a couple of things. I feel like there's a couple of pros and cons to this whole situation. Uh, some of the pros are just, well, first of all, I think all of us around the table are super lucky to work with the next generation because there's no learning curve. Right. Like, I know that some right. churches having to adjust to online ministry has been a bear. And I, I totally get that lucky for us. So this is why I try not to complain, right? Because <laughs> there's no learning curve. Like they all, they, they all get, get it. it. They yeah, use they their smartphones it. for everything. So it's fine. Um, also I've noticed, um, and I'm curious as to the others around the table, if they've noticed this, this too, I've noticed that in our, in our, our, uh, conversations online, like our large group and our small group sort of conversations, conversations go deep and they go deep very quick. And I, it's really kind of interesting there. So wow. for example, like the introverts in the community, like we have discussion every Monday, it's, we're heavy on discussion, but the introverts in the community, you don't usually hear from quite as much. But, oh, my goodness, now it's a different situation. I really? think it might be it might be just a level of loneliness everyone's experiencing and just a thirst for real friendship. But at the same time, like, it's given the introverts and the quieter ones a real voice. They seem more, um, more willing than ever to share and to share deep things uh, wow. about what's going on in their lives. So discussions have been amazing. Like, I got off a call once and I went upstairs to... Becky and I just told her, I think I just had the most incredible discussion with young adults I've ever had. And it happened online. It was just one of these moments where it's like, wow, we, yeah. we talked a lot about a lot and it was very, very good. So definitely, definitely a pro. Um, and also just more platforms. I, we, yeah. we've learned through this season that we have tools available to us uh, that we did not know we had. And now we do, and we're going to leverage them going forward. So um, online meetings are, there's no substitute for being in person. We, we get that and we understand that's part of our DNA too. However, um, just the opportunities that we had to meet online and to use platforms like YouTube that we weren't really using before and Instagram and et cetera. Like we, there are more opportunities than ever to engage with students online. It's actually sort of overwhelming to know, to just learn about all this stuff and just try to figure out, okay, what channels do we choose? It's a matter of trying yeah. to choose which ones yeah. versus like, so there's definitely no, there's no lack of opportunity to engage with students, not at this point. 
it's uh, there's actually all kinds. And it's just a matter of us learning those platforms and yeah. being willing to adjust and learning to preach to cameras, which I hate and et cetera, but we'll get there. Yeah. So what are the cons? You said there were some pros. What are the cons? Yeah. And I think the cons are probably like anybody listening to this podcast would probably relate to. Um, like I said, there's no substitute for like, like I never thought that, that showing up to a place and being able to stand beside a fellow believer who I may know or not know very well and just worship alongside them. I never thought that was a luxury. I never saw that as something that could ever be taken away from me. Yeah. And now it has. And so I, I realize how oh, that, that is tough. And so having our students together in community, worshiping together, learning to get discussing together in person, um, that's tough. Like we, we, we are, we can't wait till we can go back to that. Right. Um, but in the meantime, there are some good tools and there's all kinds of opportunities. So we're going to make the very best of it. That's great. That's really good. I, I feel like in this season, we all need a marketing master's degree on how to yes. like, cause there's so much online now. Like, Seriously. I don't know if you've jumped on Facebook on Sunday mornings, but you can find it all. Uh, we're yeah. all there. We're all doing our thing and I love it. But how does you know? How do you get your your voice out there, uh, David? I'm sure that's a challenge at Ryerson. Lots mm-hmm. of stuff going on downtown Toronto For all sure. the time. Mm-hmm. And so, what, how have you guys made the adjustment to discipleship, and how does that look moving forward? Mm-hmm. For you know, since COVID nineteen. Yeah. Um, so, in essence. <laughs> attention is is the new currency right like that's what we're all vying for every company every uh youtuber every social media influencer every church everyone is vying for the same amount of finite attention right that that, that's that's why it's monetized and so um it's to your point every church going live you know on 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 sunday mornings and so we we realize that you know, a student can connect with Lifeline during our services, or they can watch uh, the live stream of Elevation Church or right. Hillsong or right. any number of churches that have a, you know, uh, a production value 500 times what, what we would, you know, boom cameras and drones and atmospherics and, and all this kind of stuff, which is, which is wonderful. And so we we had to make the decision really early on to not try and replicate what we're not, but to lean into who we actually are. That like, what That's what good. can Lifeline bring to the table? Why were students coming to Lifeline before COVID? And and we really whittled it down to um, what we're called to do is is facilitate connection, connection to God and connection to to one another. Students are desperate. The connection to one another is, is usually the gateway. That's why they come because yeah. they're looking for uh, to, to, to identify with, with the community. And so as soon as COVID hit, um, we moved our services from in-person to on Instagram Live. We figured they're already on Instagram scrolling. So why not just do our service there? And so we had our worship leader leading from his home remotely in Scarborough. And I preach a message from from my home here. And uh, we moved our Bible studies on Zoom. Uh, and, and honestly, I feel like that the hero in this last season for us has been FaceTime. Uh, that it, it, it has really enabled us to have that, that one-on-one or that small group, um, like deep connection. Like Trevor mentioned, we, we've had more students during COVID than ever before actually reach out to us to ask for like weekly discipleship. Wow. They, they come to us and they're like, I need accountability. 
we had one student that was like, I need to repent. And so it's, it's almost as if COVID has peeled back all these layers. And like Trevor said, you know, conversations begin and, and it's like, they're just pouring out their heart. And so I don't think COVID has necessarily created new problems in, in, in our lives so much as it's caused the ones that were already there to bubble to the surface, right? All this time to think and contemplate. And so God's been doing incredible work in the lives of students um, in and through that. And so we're just really trying to play to our strengths and and not try and be what we're not, not try and replicate something that that we never will be able to, but to be, you know, this, this place, this um, church that, that facilitates connection. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. That's great. Um, I want to throw, I'm going to throw a question in to all three of you off script, because I know I sent you the questions ahead of time. How are you tracking the discipleship process for people in this time? Because obviously there's, there's a progression that's happening. Um, how are you doing that? And again, maybe it's the FaceTimes. Like you said, maybe, David, you want to jump in first. Maybe it's the FaceTime connection where it's like you're checking in regularly. There's accountability. You're doing life together. But how are you tracking it? And, and how, are you, how are you keeping track of the people? You know, how is that happening? Because, again, obviously all campuses are pretty— you know, they, they, they change every three or four years, you know, a whole new groups mm-hmm. in and how are you guys mm-hmm. tracking that in this season? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, a, that's such a good question. Um, we, uh, as, as I know, we all do, we're, we're, uh, big believers in making disciples who make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. And so, um, we, uh, early on formed a student leadership team. And so we, um, we uh, we try and stretch them. We 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 want to push them to go just a little bit further and, and lead just a little bit more and and do something you know that that they're not as comfortable with. And so um, we before COVID had assigned um, specific students to specific leaders that you know we, we we saw okay you know this leader is is connecting well with with this you know f- five or ten students. And so we said like that that's going to be your your group that like you you're going to focus on them. You're going to keep tabs on them. You're yeah. going to uh, when you're when you're together in person, you're going to focus your attention on them. And so moving you know into online, it's it's just become a matter of encouraging and and um uh kind of pushing them to continue that discipleship and so it's been really cool to see them uh you know organizing all on their own like facetime we're going to read scripture together you know facetime my my little group we're going to pray together we're going to do um you know we're going to have brunch together we're we're all going to eat brunch at the same time and um trying to uh maintain that connection and um, one of the things that God really encouraged me with um, a number of years ago is, is I really struggled with metrics and, and, you know, how do we measure success? And one of the things that, that I felt like God really spoke to me is, is the story of Ananias, that there is this, this dude before the dude who changes the world, right? That Ananias prayed for Saul and, and the scales fell off Saul's eyes. Saul became Paul and Paul went and changed the world. We never talk about Ananias. Everyone wants to be the person on the stage speaking to 60,000, right? They want to be the Mother Teresa, the, the Stephen Furtick, the Billy Graham, et cetera. But we often overlook the person who led that person to Jesus. And so that's that's how I try and, and live my ministry is, is yeah. I felt like God was like, spend time looking for Paul. Uh, and so we encourage our leaders to do the same. Like, 
pay attention to the ones. Look for look for that Saul that that, that God is actually um, ready to to transform them into a Paul and and um, take joy in yeah. in, in that one on one connection. I I said it. It's not my quote. I don't even know where it came from, but I love it and I repeat it. So maybe people think it's me. But anyways, uh, the future of the PAUC is in the harvest. Our best church planters, our best mission candle workers, our best pastors, our best missionaries, our best leaders, our best doctors, our best, our best, there's still, you know, the, the future is in the harvest. And I always, I always said the future is in the next generation, and that's partially true. But, but when you think about who's in the church and who's not in the church, the future is actually out there. So I love that, uh, David. Great thought. Trevor, do you have any thoughts about metrics and counting and discipleship and how you're tracking with people? Yeah. Um, the cool thing about campus ministry is that after, like you mentioned, Paul, like it's a, it's a new community that basically flips over every three or four years right. in my context. Mm-hmm. So what happens is that you end up collecting alumni um, over and over, year over year over year. So we started a couple of years ago, uh, our Embassy Alumni Association, which is going pretty well. Um, and what I'm going to do, what I'm planning on doing, this is top secret, uh, is that I'm you're making public on a, that you're making public <laughs> yeah. on a podcast. Yeah. I, t- I trust you all. I trust you all because they don't know they're, I'm going to be asking them this, but I'm going to be asking our alumni to really lean in this year, this semester specifically because we're online and they can, right, right. but also because I value, these are students that are ahead of the ones that we are directly in ministry to and with. And so I think their voices at the table and their wisdom and just the level of maturity that they bring um, is awesome. So we're going to ask them to lean in and help to disciple and help care for these students because they need care, especially during this season. So that's yeah. that's a neat thing. Um, otherwise, for me, it's it's individual by individual. Like I, I was listening to a podcast by uh, Andy Stanley recently, and he just simple reminder talking about how um, my you know as a as a leader in this time, your presence is more important than your presentation. And, or another way of saying is, is that your voice is more important than your sermon, just being with people and they, they need to know you care and yeah. they need to hear your voice and yeah. they need to, they need to just, right. Because that's, what's most important during the season. Um, even more so than the words I choose, they, they need to hear my voice. And so yeah. I'm trying my best, but I'm only one guy and it doesn't scale that well. And so I need help. And so this is where we ask, like David mentioned, um, we're getting our leaders engaged that way. It's caring for people specifically and also yeah. our alumni and trying to get them to lean in. Um, and then tracking with them becomes, yeah, like that, it becomes a, it's regular sort of, of course, we prefer to see them and see their faces attending on our weekly programs, et cetera. But we will have people following up with them and just asking questions and how are you doing? And like, we've missed you and et cetera. Yeah. And you're able to track with people along that way, see how they are. And often out of that kind of relationship and that genuine sort of sincere expression of care, students will be honest. They'll tell mm-hmm. you where they're at. Yeah. And then you'll have an opportunity to help them along if, if, yeah. uh, if that's it. So, yeah. Yeah. It works. That, that trust comes out of connection and vulnerability. Yes. And yes. Uh, love that. Adam, your thoughts. Do you connect with youth pastors? How are you encouraging them? Yeah. Um, I think that's one of the things that me traveling has allowed me to do is connect with youth pastors that I never knew before when I was a youth pastor myself. It's allowed me to cross over to districts and provinces. Right. And, uh, and so you stay in contact with them. Um, when it comes to students specifically and seeing their growth and, you know, their development, like 
it is through social media and it's, it's a different way of seeing fruit these days. Um, you know, usually we see fruit in, you know, live and in person and how they're acting, how they're responding, but social media, as much as we say it, if you're able to disguise a lot of things, it also reveals a lot of things, you know, and can, uh, yeah. I've even, you know, challenged students in the past, like, okay, you, you just like your friends posts that talks about them getting completely hammered and they don't remember anything about the weekend. And you like that. So let me ask you a question. What do you like about that? Like, what, what is it that you say, Hey, that's a great thing that happened to you. Right. <laughs> yeah. And, and when you start seeing even just the small thing of, Hey, you know what? I probably shouldn't like that anymore. You're starting to see the fruit in, in their decision-making. And so like, and obviously I, I'm not going to be that almost 40 year old creepy guy. Who's like, Oh, let me just go add a bunch of high school students and follow them. But it comes through them following me because they heard me speak somewhere. And then, you know, just watching what happens through there and then, you know, talking with their, their youth pastors and, and that kind of stuff. But I want to say this just to kind of, you know, talk about what both David and, and, um, and Trevor said before about, you know, the services and, you know, having the big lights, the big cameras and all that kind of stuff. If I could be honest, I actually think the way that or the church that will be the most successful going forward during times like this with online stuff is going to be the church who can do much more after the service is over. And, uh, and I think, you know, I, I know somebody yep. who is about to launch a church online. And my first question to him was, okay, so what do you do for somebody who gets saved? Right. Cause if it's just about a service, if yeah. it's just about the production value, they couldn't go watch anybody. They can just t- point them to whatever services out there. Exactly. There's a lot of resources for exactly. that. But what are you doing after they say, amen? What are they, what are you doing to build relationship? What are you doing to, yeah. to walk them through things after the service is over? So sure. Do I think quality of video needs to be good? Yes, please invest in that. But what I really believe is, after the service is over and after you've broadcasted five times yep. a day, so, what do you do for people? And I think that's going to be the biggest thing going forward. It's the follow-up. It's the buy now button. Once mm-hmm. they hit buy now, what happens? Like what mm-hmm. happens when they're engaged or they have a question? Um, we can't just be a push content uh, you know, organization. We're just pushing content, pushing content. There needs to be an opportunity for conversation. Yeah, go ahead, Adam. It needs to be more than just, I got them saved and I got them titled. Totally. It, it needs to be, what is the relationship that is being built online? And, and I'm not saying that lead pastors have to be that person, um, but I do think that we as churches, we as Christians need to be putting things in place that does engage after the service and even after they've accepted Christ. And especially if you've engaged them digitally. Mm-hmm. There needs to be a way to engage them again digitally. 100%. Yeah, until you can open up your doors, until you can have gatherings or small groups or watch parties to invite them to. It's, yeah, no, that is a great thought. All right, last question. Um, and maybe, David, we'll start with you. What are you thinking about these days as, a, as it relates to the future of the ministry you're engaged in? What are the things rolling around in mm-hmm. your head as you think about Ryerson? Yeah, so... When COVID started, um, uh, we had no idea how long this was going to go for. So it's already well exceeded what what I was ever expecting, and and uh, you know we're we're not sure when things are going to be back to a normal where yeah. we're able to have services online. So being that for the next while it's it is online, we we've been asking ourselves, you know, what 
what is it that students are consuming? Like, where are they spending their time? And, uh, you know, students, as, as we talk to them, they spend more time on, on YouTube um, than, like, some of them don't even watch Netflix, you know, or, or Disney Plus or Hulu or Amazon Prime. They're like, YouTube. And, and so many of them will, will like watch YouTubers that will, you know, talk for an hour, two hours on, on whatever on their day. Some of them broke our heart. They were sharing that they'll watch videos where people will prepare dinner, sit and eat dinner in front of the camera in silence. And they watch these videos so that they don't feel as alone. And so one of the things, you know, as, as, as we look to the future, it's how do we create content that is um, in, in the format that they are used to to consuming. Yeah. So not how do we do, um, you know, church online, but how do we do online church? Like how do we be the church online? And so we're trying to figure out ways of how can we present a sermon like a YouTuber would instead of like Bible podium, et cetera, et cetera. How can we be, um, how can we speak more in a way that they're used to That's hearing? Great. How can we present that, that message of Jesus in, in, uh, in a culturally relevant way online? Um, so, so that's one of the things that we've been thinking about as far as like this, this fall, the, the future. Um, and, uh, again, trying to, trying to use that to, to bring students into the family for those one-on-one connections for, yeah. um, our Bible studies for, you know, weekly one-on-one discipleship, et cetera. Yeah. Yeah. That's something that, uh, I think churches are, all churches are having to wrestle with because, you know, guys like Andy Stanley said we're not having any in-person gatherings till the beginning of 2021. They've just gone out and said it. I I think there's a real, very real possibility that we're rolling into 2021 without having, you know, even having our full services and all the restrictions eased. I think we're in this for a little bit. Uh, mm-hmm. So what does it look like? And I've coached churches and pastors the same exact way you're thinking that the online audience wants something different than just a reproduction of the Sunday morning experience. Mm -hmm. There needs to be Mm -hmm. a, what are they consuming? So I love that. Thank you, David, for sharing. Trevor, what's rolling around in your head these days as you think about the future at at Humber? I was, I was wondering if we could come back to me in about a year. Yeah. And I will have a better answer than I'm about to give you because I'm in the, I'm in the same place as David. I'm learning a ton right now about, about all of this and trying to figure out what the future looks like. Mm -hmm. Um, One thing that I I've been challenged, like I know that um, I've been challenged on is that, you know, so many of us uh, are used to looking out and we always say that numbers don't matter and numbers aren't the main thing. But the reality is like, even for me looking out and seeing bodies and chairs yeah. is often the mm-hmm. metric I use to determine my reach and my, mm-hmm. my uh, sort of how I'm executing my calling and my ministry and et cetera. But the reality is that that's not true. It's certainly not true right now. Right. And in the future, there may be other, well, I, there, we know that there is other ways of, of reaching people than we've used before and I have to be okay with that. I have to be okay with the fact that, um, you know, if numbers uh, begin to dwindle, um, but we're having a a really good online reach, like I've got to, I've got to switch my thinking a little bit that way, you know, because I'm I'm just so used to, okay, well, how ministry looks at Humber is like putting people in rooms and putting people in chairs and soon. And I love seeing that. And I love in-person ministry, 
So I'm, I'm feeling challenged lately because I'm, I'm realizing that, oh my goodness, there's all kinds of opportunity for, for reach and even discipleship online and, and, and et cetera. But I, I have to be okay to make that switch in my head and, right. and heart and realize that, look, at the way that the ministry has looked for the past 12 years, it may look a little different going forward. I've got to be okay with that. It you may know? look a little different. <laughs> it will. Sorry, that's my hesitation you're hearing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Come back to me in a year. Yeah, we yeah. will. Maybe we should come back to it a year and see see how our predictions panned out. Uh, right. I, I love I love what you said though. If you don't position yourself as a learner in this season, you're going to be in trouble. Totally. You got to be. Totally. You, uh, I was just side note, and Adam will get to you in just a second on a call. Leonard Sweet was talking. I don't know if you know that name, but he's a bit of a futurist thinking through the future of the church and talked about how important uh, CQ, context quotient, is going to be a leadership thing where you have to be able to understand the context you're in and then shift and adjust to that, opposed to us dictating the context. Totally. Right? So we have to be learners. We have to be thinking contextually, because if everyone's on YouTube, then don't be putting it on Twitter, you know? So, again, just simple things, but we have to be a learner. Adam, you're living in this world. Things are shifting. Uh, You don't get to communicate in front of people like you used to, but maybe you get to communicate to more people than you've ever done through social media now that you're spending more time there how do you see it shifting and changing for you in the future yeah um i've realized for a while even before everything kind of happened like youtube was going to have to be the biggest transition for me um putting in some actual i guess quality stuff um sure the content is what brings out the most quality but just being able to sit there and think it through and put it out there and um, for myself, I, I try and use as many different platforms as possible. Like I'm even on the tick and talk thing and, uh, you know, doing different TikTok, things. What's that? Yeah. And so I, you know, I got people, people who think I'm really weird on that stuff, but I, I'm just trying to have fun with it and just trying to normalize, um, the conversation. Right. And, uh, and let people know that there is a human side, even to, to myself who has been a pastor for a good portion of his life. Um, but YouTube is definitely the the place where I see um, the biggest transition happening for a lot of people. And for me, you know, I'm, I'm getting ready to start something there. And, and it's really about creating conversation, you know, you know, answering the question, like, who are you? Right. But doing it in a way that is welcoming to people who may not believe what right. I believe. Like I, I started a podcast that was all about, you know, people telling their story. And it just so happened that most of them that, that I interviewed were Christians. But when asking certain questions, I, I want to know, okay, so for someone who doesn't believe what you believe, what advice would you give them? Right? So the person who we believe that God heals, we believe that when it comes to mental health, that we can go to God, but there's more to it than that. So what would you tell someone who doesn't believe what you believe? Right. What advice would you give? And so I, for me, it's about bridging that gap between what we believe as Christians and what others would not believe and, uh, and trying to, you know, for example, I can go onto YouTube right now and search up David and Kristen. It's a great YouTube channel. You should go and watch and, uh, and subscribe to it. And there's conversation that takes place. Right. And that's what I think as the church, yes, your services, but, but what are we doing on social media to create conversation that starts a dialogue, not just, you know, you put out all this information, but are you welcoming the content back to you? Yeah. And making it easy for yeah. people to feedback you. 
You know, yeah. they don't have to go looking for an email address. They don't have to look exactly. for like, just make it easy. And then when you say you're asking for feedback, thank them for it. You know, just simple yeah. little things, but uh, and conversation is going to look a lot different in the future. Could be just a lot mm-hmm. of texting, a lot of yep. conversation and comments in Facebook and YouTube. And we know how some of those can spiral out of control. So you have to be careful. But but man, it's just so much changing. Um, I'm reading some stuff on white water change opposed to calm water change, where white water is always disruptive. It's continually disruptive, and it has no real clear end to the disruption. And you have to be flexible. You have to be adaptable. And I'm hearing that from you guys. Thanks for jumping on today. You're doing a great job. You care about the next generation. That's a big, big part of my heart. And uh, I think uh, what you're doing is fantastic. So thanks for doing that. Thanks for jumping on today. So appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks, Paul.